Allah, what's up? In the early hours of March 13th, 2022, streaks of light punctuated the night sky above the northern Iraqi city of Erbil as a barrage of rockets rained down on a building near the old town. The thud and blasts shook the city, orange flames rose up, and thick black smoke stood out against the deep purple of the night sky. Iran said it had opened fire on what it called an Israeli strategic center, with around a dozen ballistic missiles. Tehran said that it had warned Iraq and the government in Erbil, the heart of the semi-autonomous Kurdistan region of Iraq, not to allow the area to become a launch pad for attacks against Iran. Despite that, they say, US forces, Kurdish separatists, and now Israeli forces were operating in the area. Erbil strongly denies the accusation. Iraq, after all, has no official diplomatic relations with Israel, and it has demanded a full investigation. This is Beyond the Headlines. I'm James Haynes-Young, and this week we're looking at why Iran is raining rockets down on neighboring Iraq. Before we start, a quick note to say that if you want all the latest episodes of Beyond the Headlines as soon as they come out, just hit the subscribe button in your podcast app. And while you're there, why don't you leave us a quick review? It makes all the difference. Erbil is one of those really old cities in Iraq. It's about 7,000 years old. It lies in the country's north, near to where early man first gave up the nomadic life and turned to farming on the fertile lands between the Tigris and the Euphrates rivers. It survived the rise and fall of a dozen ancient empires, and today it stands as the capital of Iraq's semi-autonomous Kurdistan region. This means it's still part of the federal Iraq, but unlike the country's other regions, it has special administrative status. It has a local government, its own police and security forces. The majority of its population is Kurdish, an ethnicity with its own language, culture, history, national dress and cuisine. While much of Iraq was gripped by huge instability, bloodshed, insurgency and sectarian killings after the 2003 US invasion toppled Saddam Hussein, the area under the Kurdistan Regional Government, or KRG, emerged as an area of stability and calm. It's part of Iraq, but it's also somewhat separate. So why did Iran target a building in Erbil with ballistic missiles in the middle of the night? Are Israeli agents operating from Iraq to plan attacks on Iran? What does this all mean? Well, first of all, let's look at exactly what happened on March 13th. Well, what we know as of now is that the IRGC, that's Iran's Islamic Revolutionary Guard Corps, akin to their elite military forces, fired between 6 and 12 ballistic missiles at a building on the northeastern side of Erbil. The house, owned by a prominent local businessman, was heavily damaged, as were properties nearby. Iranian officials have said that this was a response to an Israeli strike in Syria five days earlier that had killed two IRGC soldiers, and that the site in Erbil had been used by Israel to carry out a drone attack inside Iran in February 2022. Here's Iran's ambassador to Iraq, Iraj Majdi, speaking at a conference in southern Iraq's Karbala the day after the attack. Regarding to what happened in Erbil, I want to say here that we respect the Iraqi sovereignty. The Iraqi government and the Iraqi sovereignty are respected and appreciated by the Islamic Republic of Iran. 
They established a base for the Israelis from which they conspire against us and plan operations against the security in Iran. We don't tolerate any threats against our security and our lands. Our reaction was against the Zionists, and it was not against the Americans or the Iraqi government. The operations were against the Israeli security base, which planned to carry out operations against our security. Such bases must be kicked out from Kurdistan. We warned the officials in Kurdistan region many times, but unfortunately, they didn't listen to us. This Israeli base they put under the Israeli control carried out operations against us and that the Islamic Republic of Iran reacted against that base. So, my dear, the target was not the Iraqi sovereignty, and there was no offense to the Iraqi government and the great Iraqi people. But officials in Kurdistan say that this accusation that the site was an Israeli outpost to attack Iran is inaccurate. Here's Jutia Adil, the official spokesman for the Kurdish regional government. Totally, we refuse like this propaganda is directed by Iran. Also, we call itself Iran government to come and check and give us the proofs regarding to what they said before and what they say about the Mossad. So we established a committee with the Iraqi government in Baghdad to investigations about this, what the Iran said and should Iran give us the proofs regarding to what they called. So why does Mr. Adel think that Iran carried out these attacks? He said, go and ask Tehran. Kurdistan region was not and never will be a part of any regional or international conflict. So you can ask Iran why they attack Erbil and uh, what they need exactly or what their goals exactly toward KRG. So what are Erbil doing about the attack? We continue to call the international societies and UN agency to push the uh, international society to ask Iran to stop such as this uh, attack in the future. And our diplomacy efforts will be continue to pursue the international society and our friends like United States or maybe some countries in the region to stop. Iran to do the same process in the near future. And Mr. Adel says that they've had similar statements of support from the federal government in Baghdad. He pointed out that Prime Minister Mustafa al-Kadami visited the site of the attack and met Kurdish officials, and that the central government has summoned the Iranian ambassador to explain the attack. On March 16th, the IRGC head Ismail Khani reportedly went to Baghdad for a series of meetings with officials but there haven't been any public statements about that visit. So Iran's IRGC on March 13th fired a dozen missiles at a building in Erbil that they say was an Israeli base. But the Kurdish government has denied that that's true and demanded that Iran explain its actions and hand over any evidence that they have to support the claim. Now, we spoke to Iraq expert and military analyst Michael Knights of the Washington Institute to get his take on this. Look, even the Iranian government cannot truthfully say that there are no Israeli agents inside Iran. (laughs) So the Kurdistan region can't say 
Uh, there's no Israeli agents inside Kurdistan, but there's certainly no evidence of Kurdistan and Israel having any kind of strategic alliance or formal uh, security relationship. Okay, so it is possible that Israeli agents were operating clandestinely in Iraq. Now, Israeli authorities have not commented on the March 13th attack or Iran's claim. Indeed, they rarely, if at all, comment on such covert operations, if they take place. But as Mr. Knights points out, the Israeli silence works in Iran's favour here. No matter what Iran hits, whether it completely misses the target it was aiming at, it can say whatever it hit was a Mossad site. So they've kind of found a way to throw rockets at people, and it really doesn't matter what they hit. They can say they hit what they're aiming at. Now, before we delve any deeper into this claim of Israeli covert actions, we need to lay a bit of groundwork and some context. Officials and experts we spoke to about all of this point to a complex picture of the situation surrounding the strikes, and there are, broadly speaking, three overlapping and related series of events at play. Here's a quick rundown of what is happening more broadly in the region so that we can understand better the events of March 13th. First is this Israel-Iran connection. The two have been long-time adversaries, with Iran supporting militant Palestinian groups, Hezbollah in Lebanon, and calling generally for the destruction of Israel. The two have never actually fought an open war, and most of their actions and counteractions have been covert and at a remove. Since not long after Syria's uprising in 2011 turned into a civil war, Iran has funneled weapons, troops, and militias, as well as expert trainers, to help Damascus fight the rebellion. For Iran, supporting Damascus is vital to preserving the anti-Israel ally, maintaining a physical footprint on Israel's border, and continuing to support and provide weapons to Hezbollah in Lebanon. That direct involvement in Syria drew concern in Tel Aviv, which made it clear that they would take action to stop Iran from expanding on its northern border, near the Golan Heights that once belonged to Syria and was occupied by Israel in 1967. Israel has carried out hundreds of airstrikes over Syria to hit Iranian high-level weapons transfers to Syria or their proxy Hezbollah. It's hit command posts and local commanders. Israel rarely talks about the specific operations, but it has talked generally about this campaign in Syria. Iran, in return, has tried to thwart this campaign and tried to build up capability near its arch foe in case of a future war. It's also responded to some of these Israeli attacks, especially when Iranian soldiers or nationals have been killed, as happened on March 8th. Just five days before the Erbil attack, two Iranian Islamic Revolutionary Guard officers were killed in an airstrike outside Damascus. Iran blamed Israel and vowed revenge. But this doesn't just play out in Syria. Indeed, Tehran also says that Israel carried out a drone attack in February 2022 and critically that it says it came from inside Erbil. So that's one aspect of this Erbil attack, this clandestine Israel-Iran battle that's happening in Syria and across the region. Then there's the local domestic Iraqi angle. In October, Iraq held elections and parties are now discussing the formation of the next coalition government. What has emerged is Kurdish support for firebrand nationalist cleric Muqtada al-Sadr. Their proposal would largely cut out places for Iran's allies in parliament, something that Tehran has warned it will not abide. A third aspect is much broader. Iran has been under heavy sanctions by the US since Donald Trump tore up the 2015 nuclear deal in 2018. 
the Biden administration is keen to revive the deal. But by the time of the attack on Erbil, the talks in Vienna had broken down and negotiators were headed home. Analysts point out that in the past, when talks have broken down and relations have gone worse, there's an uptick in regional tension, as well as more attacks by Iran and Iranian proxy forces. So let's go back to Michael Knight's to understand a bit more about what this decades-long Iran-Iraq clandestine war, an Iraqi election and a nuclear deal negotiation taking place in Vienna have to do with a building on the outskirts of Erbil. Well, Iran is really speaking primarily to Israel, and it's saying, you kill our people, our Iranian uh, revolutionary guard operatives in Syria, and you attack Iran with drones on February the 14th, we can hit back at the basis from which you launched those attacks, at least in their view. So it's Iran communicating with Israel that you can hit us, but we can hit back at your bases in the region. And therefore, it also carries a warning to the Kurdistan region, do not support these kind of actions from Israel. Now, there's no proof that the Kurdistan region was involved in any drone strike on Iran uh, on February 14th, 2022. Uh, But the Iranians certainly seem to believe that. There's also the additional bonus messaging from Iran and Iran's proxies in Iraq to the Kurdistan region. We're going to take out all our frustrations on you because you are making an alliance with Moqtada or Sadr down in Baghdad to form the next government. And we don't like that because it's excluding Iran's allies in Iraq uh, from government. So there's lots of messages being sent at the same time. There may also be a slight message to the US. If the nuclear talks fall apart, you can expect more of this kind of action. We will be less restrained. So many messages being sent at the same time. If that wasn't enough messages in a single action, Mr Knights points out two other things. One, that it highlights how Iran retaliates to such attacks. And that there's also a much subtler nod in the March 13 attack. That nod, he says, is a link back to a man named Qasem Soleimani. Now, Qasem Soleimani was Iran's top IRGC general. Described as a strategic mastermind, he is largely credited with having built up Iran's proxy forces and networks of alliances across the region. But Donald Trump ordered the killing of Qasem Soleimani in a drone strike on his car near Baghdad airport on January 3rd, 2020. Well, when you look very closely at how nations undertake military strikes on each other. This stuff takes planning. And what we can tell is that this target was probably planned far in advance and that this and the timing for this attack, 1.20 in the morning, same time as Qasem Soleimani was killed, just a little bit after uh, his birthday, March 11th, it all speaks to the fact that this is a pre-planned attack that the Iranians were preparing to do, probably in retaliation to the February 14th drone strike into Iran. Uh, The killings of Iranian operatives in Syria a couple of days beforehand then get used as the proximate excuse and the attack is dedicated to them. This is very much the pattern that we see across the region where Iran will prepare an attack months in advance Uh, But then it will dedicate it to the most recent event close to the actual uh, Iranian strike, and therefore it can present it as immediate retaliation. But actually, this kind of strike is usually planned weeks or months in advance. You know, when the US has to send a message, it often scrambles to find something to hit. 
when the Iranians send a message, they usually have a big, thick pile of folders where they say, which one shall we do? Now, this wasn't the first time that targets in the KRG have come under fire. In April 2021, Erbil Airport was hit by short-range rockets. But rather than the IRGC, these were fired by a paramilitary force operating near the borders of Kurdistan region and the rest of federal Iraq. Many of these paramilitaries, called the Hashdashabi, or Popular Mobilization Forces, have a direct link to Iran. They were hastily brought together to help the central government fight ISIS in 2014. Since the government liberated the country, many of the Popular Mobilization Forces have stayed put, holding on to that ground that they'd helped liberate. There's a sectarian issue here as well. Many of those militias are made up of Shiites from Iraq's south, while the communities that they now guard are mostly Sunnis and minorities from the north. It's an uneasy situation and clashes are common. These militias also hit out fairly regularly against the US and international forces. The US embassy in Baghdad came under rocket fire a score of times in 2021 alone. So too did bases housing US troops. Most of these attacks are thwarted by US air defence systems. But not this one on Erbil, even though the site of the attack was close to an area of vital interest to the US. How come? Well, this missile strike on March 13th actually struck close to the unfinished site of the new US consulate in Erbil, which is actually going to be the largest US consulate anywhere in the world. So it struck close to a building site that is leased to the United States. As a result, that side, the northeastern side of Erbil City, uh, is not where US counter-drone, counter-missile defences are focused. They're focused on the Erbil International Airport with its associated coalition base, and they're mainly looking towards the southwest, which is where militias fire rockets and drones from federal Iraq into the Kurdistan region. So this really came through the back door, and it was a new kind of attack uh, that hasn't happened to the Kurdistan region since early 2020. So to put it simply, the US wasn't looking out for an attack directly from Iran to the east, and instead, air defences were pointed south towards the Iranian-backed militias and where they operate. In effect, they were pointing in the direction that the US thought was most likely for an attack. As well as the logistics, there's a lot about why Iran chose to retaliate against Israel in Erbil that has little to do with Israel itself, and a lot to do with Iran's relations with its neighbour. Tehran and Erbil have a fraught relationship. There's always been an undercurrent of tensions. Iran, for example, has had a low-level Kurdish separatist insurgency in its northwest for decades, and it claims that some of those armed groups cross over from the Kurdistan region of Iraq. Iran was also staunchly opposed to a controversial 2017 independence referendum for the Kurdish region of Iraq. The referendum was denounced by Baghdad, it wasn't supported by the US or other allies. It led to isolation for the Kurdistan region and it frayed ties with Baghdad, Iran to the east and Turkey, with its own Kurdish insurgency, to the west. And that is still the case. Quick sidebar here, that 2017 independence referendum was overwhelmingly denounced around the world. The one state that recognised the outcome and supported the legitimate efforts of the Kurdish people to achieve their own state? Israel. Anyway, back to the Erbil-Tehran relations. Well, relations between the Kurdistan region of Iraq and you know, the Revolutionary Guard who run Iran are historically low, poor levels right now. 
the Islamic Revolutionary Guard Corps Quds Force leader Ismail Khani went into the Kurdistan region of Iraq just over a month ago, and he warned the Kurds, if you get into a government with Muqtada al-Sadr down in Baghdad, if our Iranian proxies from the new Iraqi government, then Iran will punish the Kurdistan region severely. And the Iranians have done two things so far. First, they helped to orchestrate a federal Supreme Court ruling in Baghdad that declared Kurdistan's oil exports unconstitutional. And secondly, uh, they did this short-range ballistic missile attack on the capital of the Kurdistan region in Erbil. So they promised the Kurds ahead of the referendum in 2017 that Iran would punish them if they undertook the referendum, and Iran did punish them severely, resulting in the isolation of Kurdistan and uh, it being threatened for months afterwards, a cut-off of money from Baghdad, an inability to, uh, to export its, uh, its oil or use its airspace for a short period of time. Iran likes to show that there's credibility behind the threats it makes against Kurdistan. And with this missile attack and with the federal Supreme Court ruling, they've showed uh, if the Kurds want to go with Muqtada al-Sadr down in Baghdad, they'll pay a steep price up in Kurdistan. So are these threats working? Will the president of the Kurdistan region of Iraq, Nechavan Brazani, reconsider his political dealings? What I'm encouraged to see is that Iranian attacks on the Kurdistan region of Iraq have only made the Barzani leadership more determined to work with Muqtada al-Sadr to form the next government down in Baghdad. As a result, Iranian pressure is having the opposite effect uh, than they had hoped. And it's also strengthening Muqtada al-Sadr's determination to make a deal with the Kurds. So... I don't think we are going to see a serious change in Kurdistan's position as a result of these attacks. Mr Knights also points out that Sadr is making clear that he stands by Erbil after this attack, which, given their fraught history between Erbil and Baghdad, is something of a paradigm shift. As well as the past attacks on Erbil airport, for example, in 2019, Turkey sent forces into northern Iraq's Kurdish region to fight what it said were Kurdish-Turkish separatist terrorist groups. That fight has been ongoing in lulls and peaks for two or three years, and Baghdad officially protested the Turkish incursion into Iraq, but it hasn't done much else. I was very encouraged to see Muqtada al-Sadr immediately reach out to the Kurds and say, how dare Iran attack the Kurdistan region as if it was not part of Iraq? And he took the attack on the Kurdistan region as an attack on Iraqi sovereignty. Until now, the Kurdistan region has had a special status whereby Iran could attack Kurdistan and politicians down in Baghdad would sort of ignore it as if it wasn't really happening in Iraq or to Iraqis. But Muqtada al-Sadr has set out a new position in that regard. Okay, so Sadr is standing in solidarity with Erbil. And indeed, the current prime minister, Mustafa al-Kadami, also visited Erbil after the attack and gave his support in demanding an explanation. But what can Erbil or Baghdad actually do here? No one thinks that Iraq is about to start firing rockets back at Iran. I think the main thing that the Iraqi government could do, which is a very reasonable step that pretty much any government would do, is to expel the Iranian ambassador to Iraq, Iraj Majdidi, who is a Revolutionary Guard officer and who, on March 13th, uh, said that three more targets inside Iraq would get hit by Iran if Iraq didn't uh, look into whether they had Mossad facilities at those sites. So Majdidi 
is both supporting this attack at the same time as being Iran's ambassador to Iraq. I think he should be persona non grata. I think he should be removed from the country and Iraq should require that any future Iranian ambassadors are not Revolutionary Guard officers. And perhaps the Kurdistan region might want to temporarily close down the Iranian consulate in Erbil and remove their diplomatic staff who were undoubtedly involved in helping to select the targets for last night's attacks and for other attacks inside Erbil over the last year. That question of a response here is critical, not just for Iraq, but for the US and others in the region. Mr. Knights points out that Iran is evolving in its behaviour. While in the past it hit out using proxies to give it a veil of deniability, it is increasingly taking action in the open and issuing statements of responsibility. Strikes coming directly out of Iran are becoming more and more common. They used to use proxies all the time, and they primarily do. Hundreds of strikes have gone into Saudi Arabia, Iraq, the UAE, Syria, via Iraqi proxies. But what we're increasingly seeing since 2018, actually, is uh, Iran using its missile and drone forces and cruise missiles directly from Iranian territory. That's something new. It's something that the Iranians are learning that they can get away with. There have been basically no responses to any of the actions that Iran has launched from Iranian territory against neighbouring states or international waters. And that's something that the international community is not very well placed to deal with right now because of Ukraine, but which it will eventually have to look at. This was Beyond the Headlines. Thanks this week to KRG spokesman Jutier Adil and to Washington Institute's Michael Knights. We were produced this week by Arthur Edison, Robert Tollest, Mina Aldrubi, and Sinan Mahmoud. I'm James Haynes-Young, and if you're looking to get all of the Beyond the Headlines episodes as soon as they come out, just hit the subscribe button in your podcasting app. And while you're there, why not leave us a review?